What's up, Fade to Gray family? This is Chris. You know, Omar and I both used to have our own podcast. My podcast was called Bandology, and I used to talk to musicians about their albums, the recording process, the songs. Some of those episodes were actually pretty good, so we thought, why not share some of those with you? This is the first in our series of vaulted episodes. Make sure to tune in afterwards to hear Omar and I process this conversation. All right, here's the episode. I hope you enjoy it. Today, I'm going to be talking with Adrian Romero. Adrian is the frontman for indie rock band from Mexico, Ave. He's the son of a gospel singer and author, yet some people are calling his band satanic. I had a really good time discussing these things with Adrian, and so I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. Here he is, Adrian Romero. kind of told you a little bit about how I how I got into your band was a coworker uh yeah. you know introduced me to your band one day cuz we used to carpool to work together and so I would show her songs and she would so show me songs um and uh she showed me uh Simulacra and it was just awesome yeah. and I fell in love with oh, it thanks. from the first time so yeah I'll think so that's very nice of you to say <laughs> well super excited to talk to you um so I, I did a little bit of research and found out uh, a little bit about you. And um, I think we can go into some of that here in a little bit. But the first yeah. thing I want to say is that you mentioned to me that English is your first language. Um, That's right. Yeah. Yet your music is all in Spanish. Are you the indie rock version of Selena Quintanilla? Selena, although the, like the cumbia singer. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, she yeah. she sang all in Spanish, but, her, you know, her first language was certainly English and she actually wasn't very good at Spanish. Not saying you're not, but uh, yeah. I, I just kind of drew the similarity there that you were both uh, um, English is, you know, both of your first languages, yet your music is in Spanish. Oh, OK, no. Well, I have like, I have family in California. I was born in California. And uh, I know, like my from my mom's side of the family, they're like huge fans of uh, Selena. I saw, I think I saw the movie when I was like a, a kid, but I, <laughs> I haven't really heard her music or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, she's quite famous, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's hard, I think, to transcend beyond like your death. Uh, I think people almost want to just stick stick around as long as you're alive, see if you have anything new, but. To be able to transcend your own death and people to remember you and still listen to your music is really an achievement. So no, I I wouldn't say I'm we're any equivalent. I mean, I was on such a joke, but sure, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> no, I, I just figured I would start out with a joke, and I, I apologize if uh, if it felt a little. No, fun. no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I'll I'll probably do a lot of words right now if I attempt a joke. <laughs> no. So your your dad is a musician, uh, is what I what I learned whenever I did a little bit of research about you. Um, yes. And so I'm guessing that's how you got into music originally. Um. Yeah. I mean, I my dad is sort of uh, he's more of a poet writer. Um, he he has a team. Uh, or he used to, he used to have a team of uh, three musicians that were kind of producing all of his music. He kind of has like a very basic understanding of uh, of how to play the piano. And he has a really good ear for like melody and all that stuff. So, but he's more of a writer. I think I got my music thing from my mom. My mom uh, kind of plays the piano and the guitar. She she doesn't do it very often. But her dad, my grandfather, I never met him. He died before I, I was born. Um, 
but he was a an incredible musician. Uh, he used to play like classical music, and he was self taught too, which I am as well. I did go to university a bit and studied composition, but uh, I was lucky enough to be able to get right in, into work uh, without uh, getting my degree. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think uh, I come from a long tradition of uh, self teaching. Yeah, I see. So tell me about the inception of Ave. How did you all get together? It, it originally started with a friend that I've known uh, from 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 very young age, uh, and we kind of had like similar similar interests. And yeah, one one day we just decided that we were gonna get together and try to write some songs. And um, I I think it's important as an artist to to bring things into into the music world to create things that you want them to exist. Uh, you like you want those songs to exist uh, otherwise it can get like pretty monotonous boring so we were interested in doing something in spanish that uh, was more alternative um we didn't see a lot of that going on uh, and even some of the alternative stuff that that people were doing in spanish was kind of not exactly like what we had in mind so we just figured we were gonna take a chance and uh uh, do some music uh, but it's been like I mean Aves has had like a very kind of uh, porous history so it started off with this guy that I that I started working with but then he got into um, uh, uh, leading a church so he he ended up leaving the band and then it was just me um, and the Simulacra was like the, the album that, that I did almost kind of by myself. I mean, it's, I had a friend that helped me like produce it, but I did most of the arrangements and uh, the, the lyrics and everything. I yeah. was wondering if Ave was, you know, more of a collaboration or if it was really just you and uh, some musician friends working together. So that's uh, that's really interesting to hear that you're the main composer for everything. Um, was Ave your first band? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess formal, we, I used to be like really into like, uh, heavier, heavier music. Like I used to love, um, uh, Chevelle and Tool and all these kinds of bands, uh, when I was younger. So, and yeah, I had a couple of uh, bands with friends, but they were just kind of joking around. We just like, uh, have uh, our little garage sessions and, but yeah, m- mostly right now it's just, it's just me. And since Simulacra also, it's been just me. I, I had to just get a computer and I, started learning pro tools just by myself um i I think i have some kind of like uh like pathological uh, rejection to being taught and i've always had (laughs) a lot of issues with uh, teachers and uh i don't know i just like to figure things out on my own i guess that's great (laughs) i wish i had more students like you actually you know many people just uh expect to sit there and and get you know spoon fed everything whenever they should be figuring things out for themselves and that's true learning um, so that's, uh, that's a great quality to have. Actually, I'm a lot like you. I think like the, I think the, the, the teachers that I remember the most are the ones that kind of alienate you or alienated me a bit. Like I would ask questions and they'd be like, I, I don't know, you have to figure that out. <laughs> those are the ones that I kind of remember the most. Yeah. Sure. So, um, what is it like looking for band members that have the same musical influences and vision, um, especially in Mexico where, Sure, they have alternative music, but like you said, nobody was really doing what Ave was doing. So, how did you find like-minded musicians? Um, actually, it, the people that have been a, a part of the band um, have more or less been in my life for most of it. 
uh, actually I had, a, I, there's a couple of cousins that are in the band. And so, yeah, we kind of grew up listening to the same things and had kind of similar ideas of, of where the band should go. And it was like, we did have like a, like a, like a basic direction of where we wanted the band to go musically, but it also came from things that we were going through, uh, when it came to faith, um, we didn't really consider ourselves like a Christian band. It was almost kind of, uh, it was an album that represented our exit from Christianity. Um, and so, yeah, it, it dealt with a lot of things that we knew were going to cause trouble. Um, we were dealing with things like uh, doubt and uh, loss of belief and, um, yeah, yeah, like self-doubt and, and, and also kind of embracing community rather than uh, religious tradition. Mm-hmm. So, and that was like, uh, uh, that was pretty horrifying for us. It's a, it's a hard process. And I do think that Simulacra ended up being kind of tinged with like a, like a horror aesthetic. Uh, there's, there's like a ghost in the, in the album cover and also some of the trailers that we did uh, in announcing the album were very much like uh, inspired by horror movies and all of that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it definitely was something that we were a little bit afraid to put out there, but at the same time it was a it was a baby, you know, we couldn't just we couldn't just abandon it. Sure. Whenever I look at your EP that you put out, um, it's a little more uh, upbeat, has a little bit more of a rock feel to it. Um, and then Simulacra is, on the contrary, a little darker, um, more electronic, uh, very atmospheric. So yeah. what, what were you thinking uh, musically going in and, and writing the EP? When we did the EP, um, I was kind of having to balance between what I thought the album should sound like or the EP and uh, what my friend uh thought that it would sound that he he was a uh, more a beat guy and he was uh he was interested in doing things a little bit more uh friendly towards like general audience uh and he was kind of he he took some classes in, in how to do like electronic music or synthesis and i didn't know any of that uh in fact i was just like i i think back to when we did the ep and i'm surprised that we could have we even uh were able to manage to put something out. Uh, we were pretty, we didn't know that much. Uh, we, we, we were working with a producer that is kind of, he's a pretty famous guy and he's done some, some great things in Spanish, but they're very pop. Mm. And, uh, that ended up also seeping or finding its way into the EP. So it, we came away from the, from finishing the EP a little bit frustrated, or at least I did. Um, I definitely was frustrated because I realized that I didn't have uh, a knowledge of, uh, of musical or how to express what I wanted in a more technical way. So I really got into synthesis and uh, I bought a couple of synthesizers and um, yeah, I just started learning and kind of teaching myself. And I didn't have to balance after because it was just me i could I, I did whatever i wanted and yeah it's a mixture of like electronic stuff that i that i was starting to get into and also um orchestral stuff which is something that i, I really love and kind of cinematic music my favorite song on the ep is ds um i love the song i think it's beautiful um can you tell me a little bit about what that song means to you and uh maybe 
uh, the story behind that song? I guess there's like th- there's like uh, two different answers for that because it, it I think it, it used to mean something for me uh, different when we wrote it and now I think I, if I look back at it it, it means something very different now uh, but when we wrote it um, we were just we were just trying to materialize or trying to see God in a in a more material way uh, I think I grew up in a very kind of fundamental fundamentalist church and it was like uh, there was like this idea that you have to protect the the, the mystic dimension of God and uh, so that was like the beginning of the process of trying to like materialize God and like have been able to see him in, a, in kind of like an everyday um, settings so that's what so that's what it, that's what the song meant to me back then and now it's more I see it as a first step of uh, that was kind of like the first step of a long process of of uh, making myself a bit less responsible for the things that were inscribed into me as a child through faith. feeling that you and I have a lot of similarity uh, when it comes to our backgrounds with religion uh, and fundamentalism. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to get to talk to you about that uh, as we go on. Um, yeah. I do want to know a little bit about simulacra. So I don't really know a whole lot about the concept of simulacra. You mentioned earlier that there's a ghost um, with a woman hugging the ghost on the on the cover. Um, how did you come up with that theme and what exactly does it mean for the album? Um, I think I, I felt myself, uh, well, when the EP came out, I was, uh, I think it was 20, 19 or 20 years old. And when we did Simulacra, I was 23. So yeah, I think, uh, I think there was a two or three years between the, the two, but I felt at some point or at, I don't know if you've, if you've gone through this, through the stages in, in your life where you just feel like, man, I, I don't know anything. And you know, it's like, I, I'm so embedded into like my own stupidity and I haven't been able to like realize it, you know, and I've been acting like if I know what I'm talking about. So, um, I really started getting into, you know, teaching myself about pro tools and about synthesis, but I also started getting into philosophy a lot and uh, psychoanalysis and, that really changed like my perspective of, uh, in life and about what art means. And also, um, I don't know about you, but I grew up with kind of telling me that I shouldn't mix politics into, into any of my spiritual beliefs. Like, like if spirituality is supposed to be some kind of hermetically sealed thing that, uh, you don't mix with anything else. It's kind of like a retreat into silence and uh, yeah, like uh, inner meditation. Um, but I was kind of exploring like the, the political aspect of, uh, of what, what does it mean to be a Christian? And of course that has to do with uh, the history of Christianity. So that's where it came from. It came from kind of discovering and, and I listen to it right now and I, it's still, it was, it's like very, uneven i think I, I i it was like definitely it doesn't feel like a finished uh product to me or it doesn't feel like a finished project it feels like very much like a description of the process that i was going through um 
And yeah, it, I think that that was definitely something that came more from an intellectual intellectual journey rather than something that was very concretely artistic. But you know what, Adrian, I think that's what makes that album so unique is because that tension that you're describing comes through not only in the lyrics, but also in the music and even the feel of the different songs and the way that you sequence the songs. Uh, one of them might be an electronic song. The next one's an acoustic song. The next one, you know, is a little more upbeat. So there's a lot of tension that's going on in that album anyway. And I think, Adriana, I think that that's what makes it so great. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks. That's that's really nice. Uh, I think it definitely is like a representation of, of how undecisive we were as a band uh, during that during that time. And um yeah, I think it, it works out in the end. I mean, that's that's the way that life is. I think if you embrace it in, in, in all its glory, uh, there's you can't really describe it. Uh, it is kind of like a tapestry of different colors and different textures. And yeah, it ended up it ended up being like that. I do enjoy the album. Uh, I wish we had done some things differently. And I think that um, that's part of it. I think that's that's also part of. Uh, looking back and, and being able to see where you were at the time. And it would be kind of boring if you just are the same person for many years and you agree with everything from your past. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the sound of many of the songs on Simulacra are haunting. Um, and I think that goes along with the ghost theme as well, but they're also beautiful. Uh, they're dark, but they're also hopeful. Um, how did you develop all of those songs and the concept of the album? Um, well, I was, I was always really interested in, in some bands that made me feel like that. Um, I, I'm really like into Massive Attack and Portishead. I love Portishead, yeah. And uh, Radiohead, too. And I think they had they have like something about their music that it is it is like beautiful, but at the same time, it feels like menacing. Uh, I remember the first time I listened to, uh, I grew, I grew up like, well, the way that I listened to Radiohead was kind of unusual. Like usually people start with uh, okay computer or mm -hmm. the bends or whatever, but I started with uh, hell to the thief, oh, wow. which is their, which is their, like their most scrambled. Uh, I think one of the less well-reviewed, uh, albums, but and, and really uh, obscure too. I mean, you have songs like "We Suck Young Blood." That's just that's really right. crazy sounding and, and creepy, and it's it's beautiful. Yeah, that's the way that I that I saw it. It was it was uh, it it made me a little bit scared, but at the same time, <laughs> I, I guess I've always been kind of drawn to things. And I, my dad used to uh, always play like horror movies for us. He was very uh, open about us being able to see. R-rated movies since we were like really young. So I, I remember I watched like The Thing when I was like six or seven years old. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I've always been drawn to, uh, I don't know what it is about uh, about horror, but I feel like it, it, it conveys something that uh, I'm trying to understand about myself. And um, yeah, definitely I like this idea of something that feels threatening, but at the same time it's seductive. And something that that feels beautiful, but at the same time, it's something that might keep you awake at night. And yeah, that that I feel like these artists are, are dig really deep into themselves, and it's not 
just like, like the, you get into being able to represent like complex emotions, mm-hmm. not just happiness, but happiness that is like it, it. It has like a sadness also like intrinsic to it, and I love that. It's it's complicated, but it's like the I think I think it's the best music has some of that. You talked earlier about how you uh, got into uh, writing some orchestra or um, strings pieces, and and did you do that digitally, or did you have um, did you actually have violinist and cellist come in to play that on similar? We did. Yeah, we did. Uh, the, the first EP did like so bad that <laughs> we didn't have like a lot of budget to do the Zumurakra. Um, so we had to do everything almost ourselves. And a lot of the songs do have like uh, digital or, or plug-in samples, uh, strings, sample strings. But we did record, I think, like three or four songs that we, on top of the samples, we also recorded. Like uh, the last song, Resolution, is um, is almost purely strings. It has some horns and stuff, I think, uh, and piano. But we couldn't, yeah, we couldn't fake that one. We definitely had to have. So we recorded strings in, uh, in Phoenix um, with some guys from the symphony there. I think it was like 16-piece orchestra and... Um, that was really cool. I that's I think that's always my favorite part of the of recording. Um, yeah, yeah, that's like so exciting to be able to see other other uh, musicians getting engaged in some way. Did you write those parts? Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it, I did it. I mean, like a lot of things, I just kind of did it um, my way. I guess um, it's, I, I wouldn't recommend it. I think that you should definitely try to get into theory if you if you can um but i I, i've always been into classical music so i felt i don't know if it was right or wrong (laughs) but i felt like i could do it um so i started i started uh arranging with midi and then a friend of mine helped me with the the transcriptions into like things that the the musicians could read Mm. yeah so I love on songs like um, Ether, which, by the way, uh, who sings on that song? That's my younger sister, uh, Melissa. That's great. That's really yeah. cool. Um, she sounds beautiful on that song. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that song is, uh, you know, it's it's pretty laid back, very uh, mellow. And then at the very end, there's this coda that's just huge and it's, it's, uh, it's got the strings and it's beautiful and it turns kind of dark and it's just really, really cool. Um, how did you come up with that to be the coda of that song? <laughs> it's funny. Cause I, I was talking to a friend, uh, that was, we were talking about one of his songs and he was saying that, uh, his song had like uh, 32 different like uh, variations of chords or whatever, and I was like, we should have something like that because we we were also just dealing with uh, concepts, so it started off as something philosophical like uh, like uh, like complexity, and so we would be kind of talking about like what's the complexity of life and and uh, and then we would be like, okay, so how can we translate this into into a into a song and so yeah we we purposefully tried to balance some a song that sounded interesting to us but at the same time had a lot of variation to it so at the end i think it it goes into a lot of different uh key changes and yeah it was kind of tricky because it's having to go like having to 
you could you can follow a thread of of uh, key changes and then it, having to find your way back into like the root that's always like a challenge but it, it was fun uh but yeah it was it was technically just exploring our ideas of what what complexity is yeah. man every time i listen to that song and that key change happens and the strings build up to it it just it's it's one of those things that where the hair on the back of your neck stands up and you just get that really <laughs> you know exciting feeling of something really cool is happening here and so i really appreciate uh that piece that you wrote i think it's great um oh thank you oh man yeah <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to be fanboying out a little bit with you. So, uh, be patient <laughs> with me. Um, so, uh, my favorite song on Simulacra is Huesos. Um, can you tell me about, about that song? Well, that's interesting that you say that because Huesos and Eter, uh, was technically supposed to be an EP in between the, the two, the, the, the EP and the album. So it was just going to be like a, well, like a double single, I guess. Um, but I was in Oklahoma. I was, I was going to college and where did you go to college at? Well, I went to ASU shortly, mm-hmm. uh, Arizona state university. And then I went to, uh, Oral Roberts, okay. uh, university in Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was there and it was kind of complicated for me to, to be able to like focus on doing an album. So we were only doing like, like a couple of songs. So we did those two whistles and I did those were the first two that we did. I had to go back for a semester and then I had the opportunity to just like focus on making music. So that's when we got into the whole thing. But Huesos and Eter preceded Simulacra maybe about six months or eight months. Um, so yeah, I think it was, uh, I think it was the moment where we were like, okay, this is something that this is some, this is like a bridge of sorts. Um, and that's why we did, we made that the single and it has like a video on YouTube and everything. We felt like it was a good uh, song to connect people between the two things because they're, they are quite different from each other. The lead line that you play, uh, it's like a finger picked, uh, type clean lead line, uh, is, is just really, really neat and, and beautiful. Uh, and then of course, oh, uh, I haven't even talked about your voice yet, which is so angelic and, and it's, <laughs> it, it just sounds great with the, with the style of music that you're doing for sure. I, I absolutely think it's great. And so the, some of the lyrics, um, uh, let me, I'm probably going to mess these up is like huesos que no vivían manos que no sentían uh, muy lentamente. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about like why you were giving the, um, image of, uh, you know, bones that, you know, didn't live or hands that didn't feel. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Um, we were, we were just kind of messing around with metaphor a little bit. Um, I think we were we were we were reading that I think there's a passage in the Bible that that is like a like a valley of bones. I, I I can't remember exactly right now where we got it from, but it's like a, there's a valley of bones and they became to be fleshed out. And we liked this idea, and it's, uh, we felt like uh, like maybe it was something that maybe was dead inside of us. Um, that that we felt like was was being fleshed out. So, um, a lot of people think that that's like, uh, like loss of faith or I think our loss of faith or, or our, I think our difference from, 
having like an infantile faith or, or and having to confront it later on in your life, like that being fleshed out. And uh, at the moment, we were also dealing with some some personal like family problems, and so that like it came into like the thing that brings you into existence, the thing that brings you into life sometimes is pain. So you have this like symbol of like bones and death and things being dry, and uh, pain is what brings you into existence. So yeah. Uh, having things being dry like uh, not having rain um and and those things ending up being something that brings life to you like you find life in the middle of those things What are the songs uh, that you're most proud of on Simulacra and why do they stand out to you? I like like bits and pieces of, of the songs. Uh, I, tech, I I always like end up kind of hating <laughs> or being a bit embarrassed by, by, by things that I've done uh, before. I, I, I tend to like things for a couple of a couple of months after I release them and then I I'm very critical of, of myself and what I do but um, I like the string arrangement in, in uh, Resolución I feel like uh, things came together right uh, you kind of have to get a little bit lucky uh, for that to happen uh, it's not always about things like being theoretically correct or I don't know the hardware being in the right settings when you're recording or anything like that I feel like sometimes you just it's 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 like a lot of contingencies coming together in the right way like I, I didn't need a sandwich before recording or whatever so my voice is <laughs> it's like right and uh, the, the orchestra did like a really amazing job in interpreting that song um, so I but I, I, I like the way that things came together in that song and I also like um, I like working with like musicians. There's this guy uh, called Roberto, Roberto Serrano, and he's a he's an incredible uh, drummer, and I love the way that he recorded for uh, Hades or Hades. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of I kind of did this. I was kind of being very inconsiderate. I didn't know, but <laughs> I was writing all of the the the, the drum beats with MIDI uh, on my computer. And then I would show him to him and it's like, hey, can you play this? And he was like, well, like, yes, I can, but give me a couple of days. And he's like, yeah, he's incredible. He's like the, one of the most brilliant uh, drummers that I've ever known. And I thought, well, he, he's gonna have like no issue with these. And surely uh, after two days he came and he was just like, he mastered completely and just being able to hear him play that and making it way better than the crappy things that I did like on, on, on my computer. Uh, yeah, like I, I love the way that the drums ended up sounding in that. We were also like inspired by like Afrobeat. So having like really dry drums, uh, like you can, there's almost like no room to it. Um, it's just like a really close place. So so we, there's like a there's like this um, booth that you record voice in. It's really small. So we managed to get the drum set into like a vocal booth. Oh wow! So that you have like no no reverb or no echo or you have no room technically so it was like really really well uh um conditioned for silence so we we got like really close mics and um 
I love the way that that sounded. It just sounds kind of dry, and I love that. Some of the songs on Simulacra also have, um, well, at least the titles have ties into science. So you've got Microcosmico, and you've also got Electron. Um, so where does that element come in? I, well, Electron was like, uh, I think that was one of my friend's idea. Uh, he's he's always been like into physics and stuff. Uh, I don't, he didn't. He didn't study physics. He, I think, he started like computer programming or something like that. But um, he was really into he was really into physics. I think he still is. Um, everybody got a everybody in church got a little bit uh, into physics because of uh, some books that Rob Bell wrote, mm -hmm. uh, where he was where he was doing like some physics thing and kind of he was talking about the universe being like in your favor or something like that. But he used a lot of like uh, I think he was doing like metaphor with with very like hard science, I mean, the hard science. So like, he was talking about like black holes and well, that, that was like interesting to, to my friend. And he mentioned the idea of like having an electron and I'm, I'm kind of, I have terrible memory, but yeah, it had something to do with uh, electron and, and having something like you're only a part of a whole and you have like this uh, negative mirror image that, that is also just like a part of you and it's kind of unstable. So. Yeah, we just thought it was like a cool metaphor. And uh, sorry, what was the other one? Electron and... Microcosmico. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that had to do with like... Uh, I read some Sagan or I don't know who it was. I'm, I've kind of... Uh, I'm kind of... Uh, I've left that stuff a little bit behind. Um, I didn't know what I was really... I thought it was maybe understanding a little bit, but I figured I should focus on other things but yeah it was technically about the indifference of the world uh, or, the, or the universe towards like humanity and i think that i grew up you know in a type of christianity that's like allows you or encourages to you to think that you are the center of the universe and that you know god god is there in your favor so he you know he fine tunes like the world into your favor so we were kind of going against that idea and saying like you know what like what if what if it doesn't matter and what if if that's a scary thought like what happens after we just embrace it uh what happens if we do, we don't listen to like how unimportant we are and don't let that that idea uh, depress us but rather get the best out of it so that was a song that it was just like the courage to be able to say like I want to live even though maybe the universe doesn't really care. So it was just kind of exploring this idea of uh, how big the universe is. And even if we try to harm it, um, you know, we're just a, a fragment of, of uh, the, the timeline of the universe. Yeah. What about the song Asterion? It's um, completely uh, instrumental. And yeah. it, it's a, you know, it's a pretty big, um, it's a pretty big electronic song. I think it's, it's, it's got a lot of pulsing, um, uh, arpeggiated, uh, synths in it. But then towards, uh, towards the end, there's just these pounding, uh, synths that, that come in and it's really something unique. How did you come up with that idea? It was kind of a, it was kind of an accident. We had to have like a middle song, uh, kind of connecting like two parts of the album that we felt like sounded a little bit different. So, I like I, I've liked like 
instrumental songs on, on other albums before. And I just felt like it was just a time to kind of go crazy. So it was not like planned out and it honestly didn't took it didn't take very long to to do the song uh we were just kind of putting together it's a it's really cool when you can do songs without without having the constraints of a melody like right now i'm working on a on a on a score for a short film and it's great to be able to work on something that doesn't have to be mindful of uh first of all like the harmonics of a voice uh that you have to make space like it's specifically like everybody has like a like a like a particular timbre to their voice and you have to kind of leave a gap so that the voice can occupy that space but at the same time it, it affects also the structure sometimes that's a cool thing as well like it like being limited sometimes i uh, that 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 brings you to interesting ideas but yeah uh I, i think it was just a moment of freedom that is kind of like a what is it what do they call it like a palate cleanser mm-hmm. yeah so we felt like the two halves were different and we needed a palate cleanser in the middle and uh we, yeah we, tr- we were just trying to do something that is uh it's audio but it's also kind of visual and it's like telling a story or something It feels like it could be in a film. Um, I just watched Annihilation, and it seems like something that could totally... I don't know if you've seen that movie, but it seems like something that could be at the end of that movie, that song, um, and it would have fit right in. So, um, What is the name of the short film that you're working, for the, or you're working on the score for? Um, one of the writers that kind of got me really into wanting to do something like uh, his name is Peter Rollins and um he's he's sort of like a he's a philosopher from Ireland from Northern Ireland in Belfast and he's just this brilliant writer that can take very complex ideas uh and uh he was he was one of the guys that influenced me the most in in the way that I view life but also it affected the way that I do art Um, even more now than, than I, I feel like the, the journey with, with, uh, the world that he kind of introduced me to is, uh, happened after Simulacra, which is why it's taken so long for, for me to kind of develop something new, like a new project. But, um, he, he, he wrote a screenplay and he got together with this director named, uh, Helen, uh, Helen Rollins. And, um, they're just i mean she's she's absolutely brilliant and she was she's been really really cool to work with because we kind of see eye to eye in in terms of style and uh i was really fortunate to be able to work on the score for so long it's been a dream of mine to be able to get my music into into a film i've never really tried um until i saw that peter was was working on a, on a film and i just kind of begged him embarrassingly like <laughs> i mean please like let me let me let me try something and uh i just went crazy i did like i think i made like an hour of music of just uh just uh, reading the script um even though the mu- the movie wasn't going to get done until like uh eight or nine months later So I had a long time to work on it and be sending tracks to the director and um, yeah, just coming back and forth. But I think we, I think the, the, the two projects or like the two sides of that project, like fit, fit really well. Um, 
So they just finished shooting the movie, and uh, next week I'm going to be in LA helping with the edit of the music. Um, so hopefully it all goes well. That's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm super excited about that. So you kind of mentioned that you wanted to work on a new project. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what happened and kind of what the reception of Simulacra was after you released it. I read that you had some backlash after releasing it from various religious groups. Um, For example, I read somewhere uh, something ridiculous. Someone said that, oh, their logo looks like the KISS logo, therefore they're satanic. Or, um, you know... uh, the new group um, Ave uh, from Adrian Romero is satanic and all this stuff. How did that sort of archaic thinking affect your faith, uh, if at all? And also, do you think that it hurt your band? Um, yeah, we were asking for it. <laughs> we were asking for it, definitely. I think, I uh, looking back now, I mean, I've been going to... Uh, I've been going to psychoanalysis for a while now. Um, and one of the things that I found out is that I, I was kind of sabotaging or subverting my, the peop the expectations that people had about me. Uh, I think, well, my dad is a very influential, uh, Christian singer and he's sort of like the, I don't know if, if um, most people listening to this is like uh, in, in English, but yeah, he's like sort of like the Michael W. Smith or something like that in, in Mexico. And well, not just Mexico, just like Latin American, Latin America in general. Um, yeah, he's, he's sort of like very, very influential. And I think people had an, a, a lot of expectations of that. I was going to kind of take up the mantle of like what my dad has been doing for so many years. And I was just really not that interested in, in doing that. Um, I felt like there was a lot of people already kind of uh, doing the traditional sort of worship music. And we not just weren't interested in it, but we were also interested in the opposite of that, which is kind of like a breaking free of of um, traditional uh, church language and artistic representation. So, um, yeah, the backlash, we were asking for it. Maybe at the time we didn't know. We also, of course, wanted people to connect with it in one way or another. Uh, and people definitely did. Some people connected with, with the music. Um, it's interesting because, uh, the page has been almost inactive for like two years already. We haven't done anything at all. Um, and it came out in 2013, I think. So we're going on five years where it's just been completely um, sporadic, like in the first three years, and then total radio silence for like the last two years. Um, but uh, up to this day, we still get plenty of messages just like being, hey, we just discovered you guys. And this is this is crazy. Like what? What, are you, what were you guys thinking and doing something like this, but we like it. And so, <laughs> uh, yeah, we, I think it was, <laughs> see, we're not going to in a sense, it's like a symbolic, like suicide note or something. Uh, and we knew that we were probably not going to be very successful or like get a, a lot of money from it or anything like that. Um, so, um, yeah, it did, it did hurt, uh, seeing a lot of people just being very angry because we were, at the, we were asking for it, but at the same time, we saw it as like, okay, we made this for 
for you guys. You know, we made it for, for the people that are listening to it. And it's just, I couldn't at the moment understand, like, why would you be angry at somebody giving you something? You know, you don't, you, you can just not listen to it or just like, okay, no thanks and whatever, just move on to whatever you you like, you're, whatever you're into, just listen to it. But there was like definitely a backlash that represented something different, I think. And it had to do with um, us confronting some things about ourselves that I know a lot of people have also been through the same experiences through faith. So we were just kind of uh, deconstructing our faith and I think that a lot of people definitely don't want to do that. I think that it's something, and I understand completely, I've, I've been through it. Like, it's it's a scary kind of process that you have to go through it, if you ever do it, um, of losing your identity. Uh, that That is who I was for so long. And it, it, it is scary because you have to kind of ask yourself a at some point, like, who am I? Uh, I? I feel like in limbo because you leave a community or you leave a, the mindset of a, of a community and uh, you're nobody for a bit. And you you have to kind of rise from the ashes and uh, find a new way to relate to the world. But it is like, and you start moving some things around, you start questioning some things and uh, people will definitely see it as a personal threat of like, you know what, like this is something that I thought about, but you're not supposed to talk about it. You know, you're not supposed to bring it up to the surface and much less like make it into art and try to sell it. So no, I mean, we were just kind of fed up with being silent about a lot of things that we believed and we, we did it. We, it did affect us, but at the same time, we knew, we knew it was coming. We had, we've up to this day, we've done, uh, absolutely no live shows. Um, I was going to ask got, you about that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, uh, we kind of managed one ourselves. Uh, we, we, we paid for it and we did it here in Monterrey, Mexico. Um, but that was it. Um, just so you can kind of get a, a, a clear idea of like the way that it works. It's like we got a venue that was maybe for about uh, uh, 200 people. And I think like 80 people showed up, but they, some, like a lot of people drove like five hours or more just to go and see us. So we don't have like a large audience, but the people that have followed our work have been like really, really interested and have been like really nice and, uh, they do engage the work. Well, you say that you don't have a very large audience, but you have over 50,000 followers on Facebook. Do you think that social media has played a role in, uh, your popularity as opposed to people coming uh, and finding you out just by seeing you at a show? Do you think that social media has uh, been good for that? Yeah, yeah, it has been good. At the same time, I think uh, technology is there to feed some people's like symptoms. Uh, I'd, I'd, you'd be surprised how many people that like the page is just so that they can kind of engage in a masochistic process for themselves. Like really? I know that there's a lot of people that hate us and follow us because they hate us. Um, and I'm not trying to victimize uh, ourselves or anything like that. But, um, yeah, there's definitely people that they're like consist. they're, they're there and they're more attentive than fans. 
but it's just so that they can kind of attack or do a uh, put put some some comment uh, that is clever or whatever is kind of uh, making fun of of whatever way we might put up. Um, That's interesting. And, I, I just I can't. It's hard for me to fathom that people just sit around and wait to to you know bring you down. Yeah, um, I do kind of understand it. I think that I think that definitely there's pleasure. There's there's a there's a pleasure. Uh, there's a point in which like pain becomes pleasure and pleasure becomes pain. Um, and I think for some people they get some pleasure out of like uh, the pain of being looking looking bad or being contrarian or have, or saying something hurtful. Uh, obviously, I feel like that goes against like human nature. But it also it is also something that gives you like a not an adrenaline rush but some kind of rush, and um, yeah, definitely I think there's people that have connected with us in a negative way, and well, that's fine I guess as well. We, we've tried not to censor the the page a lot. Um, there's people that are always are gonna put like negative comments, but we also don't want to seem like if we are creating some kind of. Uh, a custom ecosystem or a virtual reality of sorts in which we just feel safe. We also want to be open for people that want to criticize us in a, in a good way. Um, but we haven't seen too much of that. There's some people that have like genuine doubts about like why we were dealing with uh, horror elements and uh, some people that genuinely believe like, you know, Satanism or, satanic powers like a real thing and they generally wanted to know like well, what's the deal with these like symbols that you guys have and like i have like a like a complete aversion to like 80s rock so <laughs> when they when they said the kiss thing i had no idea what they were talking about um i hadn't i don't think i could name like even one kiss song sure um so yeah, I mean, there's, some people were saying that it's like a, a symbol of like the devil falling into the earth or something like that. <laughs> but people have really yeah. good imaginations. Oh yeah, 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 and that's the thing. Like, imagination is something that you construct in order to defend yourself. It's a defense mechanism, and that's definitely something that we saw. But in the end, we got what we wanted uh, out of it. Um. So are you still involved yeah. in church? Are you still involved in in religion? Um, that's kind of a... It's been complicated. After Simulacra, yes, uh, we, we moved here to Monterrey. And um, we... St- my dad started a, a church. And I was involved. I was involved with... Uh, uh, in the worship, like play, playing guitar. And there was, there was actually a project that came out called uh, Epicenter Life. Was and, that uh, where the song Postrado came from? That's right. Yeah. So did yeah, you yeah. write that song? No, I didn't. Um, my dad wrote that song together with uh, some, somebody else. I don't remember who, um, I did write a couple of songs on that, but I think I was, uh, there's, there comes a point where like what we were talking about that it's you feel afraid of leaving something because you have to go through the right of of uh becoming nothing and uh i was kind of lingering there for a while i lingered i think a little bit more than i that i should have um but no right now i'm not like attending completely i do i am uh married 
so I can't be completely autonomous. I think uh, my wife is also going through a process of like, well, you know, like discovering the real nature of, of her faith and how her beliefs work. And we grew up kind of very similar. Um, so we, we're just like, we're very interested in community. I feel like there's a lot of uh, incarnations of like the church right now. And I think there's a lot of people doing interesting things. But one of the things that a lot of churches are doing is that they don't, they don't want us look like a church anymore. So they change the format. Like they'll say, we're going to meet at a bar or we're going to meet at a house or whatever. And that's like, wow, you know, it has like a shock value to it or whatever. Um, but at the end, the message is the same. So I feel like that's like a, it's like a sheep in sheep's clothing. You know, it's like, <laughs> it, it ends up being, it ends up being the same thing. Yeah. Um, so I think we're inter- we're still very interested in community for sure. Um, we are trying to look into like getting together with friends like every week and being able to talk about uh, books and also having, being able to talk about things like faith, but also a faith kind of outside of church and the way that you, uh, in, um, involve faith in different things in life, like into your children and into, uh, your education and your work. And so like a faith is like something that is inscribed into like a lot of different, uh, places in life. Um, so we are very interested in community. We're not so much more interested in the message. Um, I think that's something that we've dealt with it. I think we lived with it and, um, I think we've taken it, I don't want to sound uh, pretentious or prideful to anybody that is still going with faith, because I, I, I am sure that a lot of people would say that you can't reach the end of faith and that it would be very presumptuous to say like, oh, I've gotten to, I, I get it and I've gotten through it and I, I know everything about it. I know that if I would continue to go to church, I would still be learning a lot of things, but that's not necessarily something that I wanted to continue to learn. Um, so yeah, no, um, my wife still is, I, I have to be very careful with the way that, that I handle the way that she still wants to be a part of the church. I, I can't just, um, I don't know. I, I feel, I would feel very bad just like taking that away from her. So sometimes we go, Sometimes we go and, um, but yeah, I think slowly we're trying to come up with something that is going to be for the both of us and it's going to be better, uh, a way of community. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely went through a huge de- deconstruction as well. Um, I didn't grow up in church, but as a teenager, um, I, uh, found faith and, and began attending church and got heavily involved and became a music minister myself. And, uh, I found that you know, there's a verse in the Bible where it talks about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And it's like, no one really wants to work out their salvation. They, they're not willing to take the time to go in and, and test it to see if it is real, to see if they really do believe those things. Because first of all, they don't believe that people are going to hell. If they did, they wouldn't stop trying to get people not to go to hell. You don't really believe in hell, you know, because if you did, yeah you wouldn't allow anyone to go there. So I know you don't believe in that. 
Um, and of course now I, I just kind of consider myself an agnostic as in, I just don't know. And it, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm open to the mystery and, and I'm, I'm totally cool with it being a mystery. I don't have to know and it's okay. Yeah. Uh, whereas yeah. in the past I had to know, and I felt like I did know the truth, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's an interesting place to be for sure. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, yeah, the agnostic thing is like, uh, it's interesting because a lot of these these terms like atheist and theist and agnostic, like they're, they've become so like, they're really charged terms. Like they, they carry a lot of like culture. Um, but yeah, definitely. I, I think uh, a lot of people, the way that they believe in hell and the way that they believe in, in heaven or salvation or whatever, it's just a way to reiterate the way that they connect with other people. Um, like there's different ways of doing community, but I'm pretty sure that if you believe in hell, your communities are being created by scapegoating. It's not so much that you have something in common with the other person that you like, but you have something in common that you hate. And for, for, um, I don't know, fascists or whatever, like they're not together because they, they have something in common. Like they love totalitarianism or whatever, but it's because they, they hate the figure of the Jew. Um, so that's, that, that is like the, the operating element of their community. So I think that, yeah, for a lot of people that like hell is like a huge component in their faith. Uh, it definitely it's because they're not able to confront like in like contradictions in the way that, that they live out their faith. Um, so yeah, I just like, I, I, I I've, I've got, I've grown accustomed, I think, to look at these things as symbols that represent something, I think, a little bit deeper and a lot more material, a lot more human. Um, and yeah, it's interesting just to see how people deal with these things like hell and, and heaven. It tells you a lot about, about them. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing um, about that stuff. I know it's really personal. Yeah. Um, well, it's, I mean, it is like everybody has like their they're kind of stories about like what, what's going on with their faith. But at the same time, faith is something like, so, so universal, you know, it's like everybody has to deal with it, even if they don't want to. So, and I, I know that there's a lot of people also that kind of, that follow more or less, um, what, what I'm doing. Um, I haven't been like an inactive these, these, these last few years I've been producing, uh, my sister, the one that sings in it there, she's like, uh, I'm, I'm producing her album right now and uh, I did my dad's like last album. Um, also, uh, I don't know if you've heard it, but if you, I think you might like it if you, if you liked Simulacra, we tried to do something like a, something that was kind of middle ground because he's always been like very pop, uh, kind of, uh, friend, pop friendly or radio friendly music. So we did something that was a bit more, a little bit more dark and more honest and, and everything. And, um, a couple other things. So I think that there's people that follow uh, the journey that, I, that I've been on. Um, and I, I think uh, it, it would be cool to also engage with them when it comes to faith and to, to see what they think about, about all of this. Yeah. yeah. And especially to the people who follow you on social media, just to, you know, I guess, question your faith. It's almost like yeah. if you were to try to have a conversation with them, they wouldn't want to have it right. They would, they just want to, say what they want to say and then get out. Um, they're yeah. not open to that conversation. So mm. it's almost like I wish they would just 
not say anything. Or if you're going to say something, great, let's have that conversation. Is that kind of how you feel about it? Yeah, I think that um, there's some people that they operate from just like reactions. And there's not a lot of ground for conversation in that. Um, I think if people have genuine concerns or genuine uh, identification with whatever you're going through and you can talk about it, like that's great. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like there's, there's a need for people to be able to know that there is, there is something after, after faith, there is life, there, there is, um, there is happiness and there is an identity and I think that there's a lot of people that stay in church because they feel like they're not going to be accepted anywhere else. I definitely felt that at some point, like, like, who am I going to be? And what is my community going to do to me? I care about my friends that are also religious and I don't want to lose them. But there is like a second part of the story. It doesn't end. It doesn't end there. Uh, it's um, There's so much more beyond just being a part of a a uh, community that maybe doesn't allow you to to grow, and there's a whole bunch of really great communities that that are doing amazing things that are kind of post faith or or not post faith but post God. I think. Um, so yeah, um, there's all kinds of things that you can do. We haven't been able to find a community like that here. Um, there's not a lot of people doing something like that in, in, in Mexico, but we're definitely looking into maybe doing something ourselves that is kind of uh, a community that is that is post yeah. So you recently posted on uh, Ave's Facebook that you're essentially turning into a new project. So what can we expect in the uh, new new iteration? Um, <clears throat> it's a it's an audiovisual outfit, and I, I'm, I'm not sure I want to say what it's called yet, but sure. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it. Um, it's kind of a philosophical. Uh, theological, psychoanalytic, um, and political um, project that expresses through art. So it would be like short films that are maybe 12, 15 minutes long. And um, it's um, they're, they're stories that are dealing with kind of heavy philosophical concepts. Uh, and they also come with like a couple of singles, two or three singles that are more uh, electronic or some of them would also have like lyrics and stuff. And it would also come with uh, sort of a text of, uh, that is exploring the idea of the video and uh, the emotional side of like the music. So technically, I feel like there's a lot of uh, authors out there that are doing amazing things, but they're kind of stuck in this limbo because... There's not a lot of people that read, I don't think, uh, especially not here in Mexico and in Latin America. Um, you have like extremes. There's people that are ex- like over-educated in Latin America, but there's also a lot of people that, you know, like you'll go to a, a, a mall in 
in the U.S. and McAllen. I mean, it's just like two hours. And there's a chances are you're going to see like a Barnes and Noble or something like that. Uh, even though less and less because it's more Kindle right now, but um, here you don't see that many libraries, and if you do, they're like very limited in what they have. So I feel like there's there's really amazing authors doing incredible work, um, and I just want to give like these authors a chance to to develop their work into some kind of screenplay, and um, and having being able to like score those things and then i'm hoping that also that kind of opens up into um, more doors of being able to score things um, whether it's short films or movies or whatever that's really cool that sounds like a really good idea um for the listeners that really aren't very familiar with ave or or you um how can they keep up with you and how can they find out about uh, your new project whenever you announce it I'm, I'm going through like a difficult time right now well uh that's not serious but i'm going through a difficult <laughs> decision because i'm not sure if i want to recycle uh this page or just start from scratch you know just like maybe put a link for people that might be interested uh at the end in Abe. um but definitely i'll definitely put something on the Abe page that either takes you to the new page um but I think the best way that people can find out what I'm doing is uh, on Twitter. Uh, uh, my at is a drone in the life, like a drone, like a flying drone, like a military, whatever drone in the life. Uh, that's my at in Twitter. And unfortunately, I don't use uh, Instagram or Snapchat or anything like that. I mean, but I might have to get those things for, for work. Um, but yeah, that's probably the best place that people that are interested can see. I still can't figure Snapchat out. Um, it may just because I'm getting older. Uh, Instagram seems to be the easiest thing for me. Twitter is still even a little bit too much for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, 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 there's something a little bit like scary to me about Instagram. Uh, I'm, I am, I am proficient, I think in technology. Like I, I understand, I love working in computers and, and with music and everything. Uh, and I mean, you should see this modular synthesizer that I have here. It's just like a big chunk of electronics. But there is something about like the 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 the, the social economy or the, the economy of pleasure uh, that 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 comes with attached to something like uh, like Instagram. And I feel like it's your value as a person becomes something different, or at least it becomes fragmented. And um, there's enough already kind of devaluing uh, what it means to be human. I, I don't know. I just didn't want to, if you can do it, if you can do it and you can have Instagram and, and you're like kind of moderate in the way that you use it, that's great. But um, I tend to be, I think I'm starting to understand that I'm kind of like a person that is, can develop addiction easily to social media or whatever. Um, so I try to stay away from that. Yeah, that's probably a smart thing. Yeah, the the students that I teach are heavily addicted to their cell phones, uh, to social media. They need that fix of of a notification. Um, it's it's yeah. a really strange thing to see coming from whenever I grew up. There were no cell phones around. Um, I'm 35. I didn't have my first cell phone until I was 18 years old. Um, and yeah. and these students, you know, have them. Uh, my students that I teach, I teach middle school. They have them at 11. So yeah. 
they're just constantly used to that stimulation. Um, and I think it does become addictive. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, it's like, um, there's a lot of great like uh, books and and uh, I think like Black Mirror does has like a great episode on that where it becomes a, it becomes like your value you know it's like is it, that the one with Bryce Dallas Howard? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, great uh, episode like a, for sure. Yeah, there's like a commodification of your uh, interaction with other people, and they rate you. And if you have a high rating, then you can actually. That's like I I read an article yesterday about that's happening in China. That's no. happening in China where, yeah, it's like uh, depending on your credit score and depending on like, I don't know, like community service or something like that and uh, your grades or something, um, how, 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 like if you're, if you're paying for things on time, you get a good score. And if you don't, you can't go on flights and you can't use like the train. Oh my and, gosh. Uh, so yeah, it's getting... Black Mirror is like uh, it's a very serious. It's a little prophetic, um, I guess. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could talk about that all day. There's <laughs> there's some very interesting ideas. Yeah. yeah. I love that TV show. It's great. Yeah. It's wonderful. Is there anything else that you want people to know about? Uh, well, if you're if you're like uh, if you're into the stuff that I've done, if you like the cinematic side of of uh, of Ave and and the stuff that some other stuff that I've done uh yeah just look look into this um this short film that is, that is coming out shortly i'm guessing it should be ready like around june or something like that if you're in the states it's probably gonna play in some theaters some local theaters uh probably in la and new york and some other places i'm guessing it might also play in england and ireland um hopefully it becomes a success um they're going to put the 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 uh the film and some festivals i think so that'll be great and i think after that it'll be on itunes or something like that you'll probably be able to buy it but it has a kickstarter page right now where you can kind of follow uh, what's happening with it and the feature like that same uh, short film is getting made into a feature uh next year so will you be in charge of the score for the feature well, um, as far as I know, yes. Yeah. Uh, so I need to, I need to, uh, I need to be good. <laughs> yeah. Cause I really, I really want to do that. So yeah, but I, I think I've developed a good relation, working relationship with uh, the director. Um, so hopefully that, that continues on into next year and she's comfortable enough to keep on working with me. I do think that we, we are kind of similar in some, some ways of thinking it, I think you might like his work. He's really good. He has a book called uh, The Fidelity of Betrayal that I really like. Uh, there's another one called uh, Insurrection. These are really good books. Um, and you can also see some talks that he gives like on uh, on YouTube. Um, I think you might like him. And what's his name one more time? Oh, Peter Rollins. Well, I really hope you'll keep me updated um, on you know, anytime you're going to release anything new, um, I'm certainly yep. interested to hear it. I'm a big fan of you. Um, big fan of your, your stuff. And I'm, I'm super excited to watch that movie whenever it comes out. I want to hear your score. I think, uh, I think that's perfect. Oh, thanks. Man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll be in touch and thanks for, thanks for having me on the, on the podcast. That's really cool. Awesome. Thank you. Adrian. All right. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. You too. 
I really look forward to checking out Adrian's scores that he's writing for movies. I think that's really cool. And uh, make sure that you do go check out that Kickstarter. Uh, just go to Google and type in Making Love Kickstarter, and it is the first thing that comes up. Uh, it is closed, but you will be able to watch a little video about it and read about it. Uh, it's going to be really cool. So please make sure you go check that out. What did you think about what he had to say? You know, obviously I've never heard his music before um, other than like the sampling and stuff he did during your interview, which and I thought it was very, very good. I liked it. Um, but I think the things for me that stood out um, during your first interview would be more along the lines of like just um, the stuff he got into near the end about community and um, where he's at in his faith walk and um, how he's, um, you know, hasn't walked away from it all completely, but doesn't um, identify or doesn't really feel like uh, what he's looking for is with inside the church walls anymore. And so how, um, and just um, how that uh, journey and his music and the response he got from like church people kind of pushed him further out into that. Um, always thought that was a very intriguing part of the uh, conversation for me that stood out the most. Yeah, I, I was actually very curious uh, and I wanted to kind of keep going. But at that point, um, it, I was trying to keep the bandology episodes right at around an hour and 20 minutes or so. And at that point, we had, you know, hit that. And so it was kind of like, well, I could keep going. Um, I think our recorded conversation, because I, I did a lot of editing for that uh, podcast, uh, but I think our recorded uh, conversation was almost two hours. And so I had to, you know, really cut out a whole lot of good stuff that we talked about. Um, and I wanted to talk more about the faith stuff, but the, the, the podcast was not a faith-based podcast. It was a podcast about music and bands. So I didn't want to, you know, harp too much on it, but I was super interested in what he had to say about it. Obviously, you know, he equates his father to being the Michael W. Smith of uh, Mexico or Latin America for that, for that matter. And, you know, it's with someone like that, you would expect that they would leave the legacy. They would be, you know, worship leaders, which I think he did for a while. And uh, think he was doing that a little bit with his, that last project with his dad too. Yeah, like, yeah. Ending church and the incapacity of like leading worship and stuff like that. Yeah, they started that church, um, Epicenter, I think is what he called it. Epicenter, um, maybe Vastigo or something like that. I can't remember exactly. I have to go back and listen. But he, yeah, because there's you can actually watch videos on YouTube of him leading worship there. And uh, they're actually pretty good. And, you know, as a former Christian, I still um, kind of get the feels whenever I listen to some of that stuff that he did. It's kind of interesting. But, um, but yeah, like, uh, I, just very interesting how, how he turned out because you would think that he would just, I mean, he'd probably have a career. He'd probably be set for life if he wanted mm -hmm. to, right? He could go down that, that uh, path and, and just, you know, play the Christian card and, and he could, you know, follow in the footsteps of his father. Like he was um, almost, like he was almost groomed for it. You would say. Yeah. I mean, he, he may have been, I, you know, he, he said his father was cool. Um, and you know, obviously was pretty liberal with that kind of stuff, but yeah, he could, he could totally choose to do that. But what I found pretty compelling was, is that I, and before I spoke with him, I actually thought that Simulacra was a Christian album because of some of the themes that were on it. Um, but in fact, he talked about how, you know, in recording that and some of the backlash that 
that they received from the Christian community in, in Mexico and in Latin America, um, that they were kind of asking for it, almost like he was yeah. intentionally trying to sabotage it, you know, sabotage his place. Almost. Yeah, yeah sabotage his place, man. I thought that was so rad that he did that, you know, and whether it was intentional or not, like that was just a very interesting choice. I didn't mean to talk over you. What were you going to say? No, 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 you're, you're fine. I was thinking about what you're saying and you're, you're so right of just like whether it was intentional or not, how like um, basically is, it was that artistic thing inside of him that says, I'm going to step out here on, on this branch and then, and then cut the branch off and see where I go. It's uh, it's, it's uh, interesting. Like, and like you said, like the way that they, the reactions to, to the music and almost like how he's, he looks at his followers or he's not even sure if they're following him because they, they like his music or they're just following him because they just want to, you know, see what he does next as far as, you know, so they can be like the naysayers or like I, t- the, I told you so type type crowd or something. For sure, so. man. Like so crazy. He, he probably has followers because of who his dad is for sure. Right. But he's also got followers like me who just really like the music. Um, but it's obvious whenever you go and look at their Facebook page, which I don't even know if their Facebook page is still around. I recorded that. I think we recorded that episode in February of this year. And at the time the Facebook was still around. Um, but I haven't been on Facebook a whole lot since then. So I don't really check, um, their stuff. But at the time you could go and you could see people were, you know, every time he would post something, people would go on there and interact with him, some positive, some negative. But it was interesting because even online, like you could go and you could just like search Ave Simulacra and you would get all this stuff in Spanish about how, um, you know, his band is satanic. Um, they have the image uh, that's kind of after kiss or whatever. Um, funny funny. thing that he talked about like oh i have an aversion to 80s music so i don't even really know anything about kiss um so that's just crazy but like the fact that people call them satanic you know is just is mind-boggling because even if let's say that you know they did go out on a limb and and make an album about deconstruction deconstructing their faith or whatever which kind of seems like what they did um you know that's hardly satanic that's working out your salvation or working out your, you know, what you're doing with your, with your, um, faith. Uh, and it's so cool that they had the balls to do that with that album. I just, Oh man, I love it. The album is so good. I don't, you, you haven't heard it. You've heard the clips from the episode, but right. that is on Spotify for anybody who wants to go check it out. Ave Simulacra. It is great. Now, of course it's in Spanish, but I mean, you don't understand the words to the music you listen to anyway most of the time, so you might as well just go check it out. So that translates to sugar agave, right? <laughs> <laughs> translates to fuck all Christians, I think. No. <laughs> I just like when Rob Bell's name comes up in conversation with people. You know, it, it's because there was such a large spectrum of Rob, what Rob Bell is. You know what I mean? And so like from when he was more into the whole mainstream Christianity thing and doing those little NUMA videos, you know, to the whole, you know, there is no, there is no hell Rob Bell, you know, like it's just, it's just funny to, to, to hear people who've never heard, don't know where he ended up, you know, and just kind of stumble some of his stuff along the way. I'm like, okay. 
<laughs> I remember when all those Numa videos were coming out and everyone was, you know, super excited about them. And then of course he goes on to progress further and further away from, you know, the, the literist literalist or uh, fundamentalist perspective, um, you know, and, and almost has kind of like really outlandish ideas, but whenever you step back and look at them holistically, they're really not that outlandish at all. Um, it's just different, just way different than the norm, you know, way different than the, uh, I guess you would say the average uh, Christian fundamentalist Christian would have. Uh, and I guess some people have even called him a heretic or, you know, called what he's written here, uh, heresy and stuff. So, yeah, kind of like, I mean, just to me, I know that we're not necessarily talking about Rob Bell, but I think it's interesting, you know, the connections with, with the music and, and the directions they were going, just the ex- exploration of faith and that whole, like you said, deconstruction um, thing and how just, um, it was like Rob Bell's talks on physics, I guess, is what got his one band member, you know, wheels turning and, and, and spinning. And it sounds like his band member may still even be in the faith from, from, from what it sounded like from the interview. Yeah. It sounded um, like he was uh, a worship leader still. Yeah. Yeah. But I think just on Rob Bell though, um, what was it? God's not angry. I remember like my, how much my church being Pentecostal as somebody's a God embraced that so hard. Like, just like this guy's a genius, you know, like <laughs> he's preaching straight, you know, things. And then like the very, his very next thing that came out was like his book about, you know, like they're not being a, a literal hell. And then all of a sudden it's like, this guy's so dangerous. This is, this is what happens in the last days, you know? Yeah. Burn those books. Yeah. But, but no, that was a great, great interview you had. And I'm so excited to talk to him tonight. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm interested to see, um, you know, he talked about like how he hadn't really found a community in Mexico yet. Um, with his wife. I'm interested to see if he has a found community, um, if he's, you know, working on it anymore. I'm also interested to hear more about, you know, his, his job as a film scorer. Um, mm-hmm. I know when I left off with him last, he was working on the short, uh, that was going to be released and, um, they were going to turn it into a full length and he was going to be working on that as well. I'm interested to see how that's going and, um, you know, just kind of see what he's up to. Yeah. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. And so let's do it. Let's do this thing. Let's do it. We certainly hope that you enjoyed this vaulted episode on the Fade to Gray podcast. If you like what you heard, please go follow us on social media at Fade to Gray at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Don't you ever get tired of listening and want to actually comment on what's being talked about here? Well, over at Marco Polo, we have a Fade to Gray group that we'd love for you to join. You can find that link on Facebook. If you'd like to hear more about Adrian, well, you're in luck. We have another episode coming out, except this time he talks philosophy and politics, and we kind of leave the music behind. That's coming up soon on Fade to Gray.